like you are the chosen ones to be here, and I'm very glad to have you. Uh, I've got a couple of things to clear up first. In all the promotional materials, I have brown hair and glasses, so I just didn't want you to think it was my mother standing up here or something. So uh, I decided last year to let my gray out, you know, and, and I also had cataract surgery, so I don't have glasses. And, and one of my granddaughters came up to me and said, <coughs> Grandma Susie, your hand looks like a puffball. And so I, so I kind of laughed and gave her a hug, and then I'm immediately on the phone, you know, to my hairdresser. Puffball head is not exactly <laughs> the look I'm after, you know. So uh, I said, what can we do? Can we kind of spike it up or something? And uh, we decided, she said, go to Walmart and get this stuff called Splat, and you can get it any color you want. So I got something like tantalizing teal or something like that. So we did a, did a big swatch of teal color in my hair. My grandkids were going, awesome, Grandma Susie, that's great. My kids, not so much. They kind of, <laughs> my oldest son, who happens to be an attorney, said, now, what point are you actually trying to make here? He goes, anyway, so that's, I just wanted you to know it was me and not my mom up here. So um, I'm very glad you're here. Another thing, my work is with women right now, but we are desperately trying to get stuff for men because I have more and more men contacting us for help. Uh, but this all, you know, came about just because I was going through it, and so that's the story I told, and that's how all, you know, all the resources were developed. So, uh, but we are trying to meet the needs of men as well. But I'm going to be talking today more in terms of, of the women part of it. Um, you know, a broken hallelujah, that is perfect for, for what we're going to be talking about. It, you know, God is close to the brokenhearted, and never is a person more broken than when they're going through divorce, especially a divorce they don't want. Uh, it's, it feels like such a failure. You feel like you failed yourself. You feel like you failed your family. You feel like you failed your church. Uh, you feel like, most importantly, you feel like you failed God. And so... Uh, it's just a time that if a person has not been through this, this journey, they do not understand the devastation that's in your heart and just the brokenness that you feel. So I was very honored when they called and asked if I, if I could speak because uh, I am very passionate about this work. And what I've been doing since my own divorce in 2000 is trying to help women uh, find that unexpected good and at the beginning, when you're going through divorce, you can't think that there is anything good at all about it. Uh, but God promises that he can work all things for good. And so my book is Radical Recovery, and, and the subtitle is uh, Transforming the D Despair of Your Divorce into an Unexpected Good. But when I was asked to speak, I, I would be speaking to people in the church and specifically church leaders and people who are going through divorce. So uh, I want the church to understand that they have the ability to have discovered that unexpected good, uh, you know, from helping people, from being the body of Christ to people who are going through divorce. Uh, the church has everything someone going through divorce needs. I mean, the community, it, hope, you know, a chance to have a place to belong, a place for their kids, uh, but most of all, access to the healing of Jesus Christ, which we know is, is the key to 
really getting over divorce and moving forward. So uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Uh, uh, my, my own divorce story, uh, just very briefly, I had been, well, first of all, I came from this very strong Christian family. My parents married uh, 60 days after they met each other. They were, uh, he was uh, in the army, she was an army nurse, and they met in Wednesday night Bible study. So, uh, I, you know, they did, we did church like probably most of us. We, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He was an elder, she was a Bible, a women's Bible study teacher. I helped with vacation Bible school, you know, the whole thing. I went to ACU for a couple years, and then I transferred to KU to get graphic design. That's what I wanted to do. And in my junior year, uh, I married my husband. And I don't like the word ex-husband, so I call him my husband. Well, he was my husband, and that he's not anymore. So, so I married my husband. The next year, he was uh, accepted to medical school, and. And so we did internship and residency in the military, and then we finally went back to Kansas City to practice. And by that time, we had three amazing kids, and another one came along 11 years later, so we had four great kids. And suddenly, he decided one of his nurses was really a lot of fun. And I think it started out innocently enough. She was having trouble with her marriage, um, and, and they, they started a relationship that I didn't know about, of course. And that went on for three long, agonizing years. I kept, I wanted to give him every opportunity to change and to come back home. And I, I prayed, I fasted, I begged God to, you know, fix our relationship. Uh, but when I walked into room 120 of the Fairfield Inn and they were in bed, after he said he had ended that relationship, I just, decided I could not be the woman that God created me to be and stay in that relationship. But you know, uh, there are a lot of ways to be unfaithful in a relationship. It doesn't have to be just physical. There are so many ways, abuse, addiction, you know, financial uh, infidelity, or, or just not, not caring for your partner's heart. Those are all ways to be unfaithful. So, but uh, I just, you know, I, I just thought to myself, I cannot be the woman that God created me to be and, and be one with a person who was just flagrantly spitting in God's face every day. So, uh, but I remember our court date for the final signing of the papers was the day before my parents' 60th anniversary. And I just thought in my heart that God would do a miracle and he would come over to me and say, Susie, what are we doing here? Let's just go fix this but he didn't. And so, you know, on October 2nd, I was divorced after 33 years of marriage. And I was just a total mess. I, uh, you know, and I'm a strong Christian. I'm the, I'm the mother who always had the Bible verses on the table and said, just pray about it. You know, God will, God will take care of it. Well, uh, I'm embarrassed to say some of the things I did and some of the things I said. I tell people all the time, I could be doing this from the state penitentiary. I was so <laughs> that pissed that he did this, you know? I was just furious. I mean, but in, at the same time, I was just broken. I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I had given my whole life to being his helper, being the Proverbs 31 wife, you know? That was my life. And now, especially in midlife, uh, when, 
your body's changing, um, your kids are leaving home, and suddenly your husband's gone. And it was the first time I had ever lived by myself, ever, when I was 53, and here I was by myself. Um, every day, every single Sunday, I cried at church. Uh, and so many women say that church is has not been welcoming. Churches do not know what to do with us. Uh, we have ministries for, you know, the prison ministry. We have ministry for the homeless or for people. All, divorce, not so much. And I want I want to tell churches, and each one of you can go back to your home church and and give them some really good tools to how they can how they can be the presence of God and and be the church that welcomes everybody. Because uh, the statistics now are showing that one in four or five adults in your pews every Sunday are somewhere on that divorce, in that divorce place. Either their parents are going through it, their kids are going through it, they're going through it, they may have a friend. Uh, and so that means that one in every four or five houses around our church also has divorce in that. And never is a person more willing to understand or listen to what God has to offer than when they are just broken. And so we are missing such a great opportunity if we do not, as the body of Christ, welcome these people into, into our church and say, we are here for you. You know, we, we want to help you. You belong here, and, and we, can, we can help you. So what I feel like churches need to do, uh, and, and the, the beautiful thing about this is, is that churches uh, just have everything that they need, and, and everybody in the church can take part in being the body of Christ. I mean, there's a place for the women's ministry to help. There's a place for the teen ministry to help. There's a place for retired guys. I mean, when I was going through this, I had no idea how to change the filter in the furnace or check the tire, you know, the air in my tires. So some retired guys from the church came over and kind of stepped me through some of that stuff. Uh, there, it, women need jobs. I mean, when you're divorced at that age, I hadn't been in the workplace formally. Uh, I had my own little business, but I hadn't, you know, I never had to pay the bills with it. Uh, a lot of women are left with no way to support themselves, and if they haven't worked for 10 or 15 years, it's very hard to get back into the workplace. So members of the church who have a business or know somebody can, can maybe help them get a job to start out with or something. So everyone in the church can help, and if, if the church knows that you are a congregation that helps and embraces and welcomes divorced people instead of kind of standing off, like if you have a neighbor who's going through it, there there is a way you can help them, or someone at work. There, you know, because they are everywhere. I bet everyone in this room has someone who they know who is going through divorce. So what what my plan is is when someone comes to the church office, and you know, I was uh, I did not tell anyone for six months because I thought this will blow over. He will come to his senses. Uh, and we won't have to tell anybody because it's embarrassing. You know, it's it's just humiliating. And uh, but that didn't happen. It just kept getting worse and worse. <coughs> I finally told someone at church. You know, but at the time they really didn't have any 
help. Uh, you know, you could talk to an elder or something like that. But uh, what I feel like, if churches did these four things, if as soon as someone came into the church, you gave them a packet, and what what I'm what I'm suggesting is like uh, that the church have these packets, and it's it's not very much in the packet. Would be just everything you want to put in about your church. Uh, and then the Radical Recovery book, and, and this is a thing called the Survival Six. I had a guy out here just today tell me that the Survival Six saved his life. Mm -hmm. Now, people who have not been through divorce don't believe this is this bad, but yeah. you can barely get your feet on the floor every day. You are devastated. You just are, you know, is you're kind of paralyzed with sadness and anger and everything else. So this, these are the six things you have to do every morning to get your feet on the floor. I mean, it's just basic. Get up. You know, put your feet on the floor. Take a shower. Fix your face. Get dressed. Eat something and get moving. And if you're doing those things every day, at least you are up. I, I get messages all the time. I just don't want to get out of bed. And I wanted to just pull the covers over my head until it went away. And but so if if you if you give them a packet and say someone comes into the church, and you give them a packet like this, and it's in this little bag, and if every church had some of these in the office, and someone came in, you gave them this packet and said get started with this, and someone will be contacting you in a in a within a week. So. You have someone in your church who has either been through divorce or uh, maybe is just a good listener or something, the same sex person, and they contact that person and say, I'm here for you. Have, you, have any of you ever heard of the Stevens Ministry? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they asked me and this guy to come talk. The Stevens Ministry is a ministry that their, mo their mission is to be the listening presence of God. Now, isn't that beautiful? the listening presence of God, and they help people go through tough times. Well, so they wanted to talk to me and this gentleman uh, about our divorces and how, we, how they could be better listeners. Well, he went first, and I mean, he, you could tell he was nervous, and he kind of got himself together, and he started talking, and he just broke down. And he would say a little bit more, and then he just started crying again. He just could barely get through it. And, um, and he finally got through it, and I got through my part. And at, at the question and answer period, someone said, well, how long have you been divorced? How, can anyone guess how long he had been divorced? A year? Five years. A decade? How many? A decade? Two? He had been divorced 16 years. Wow. And if we, as the body of Christ, as Christians, as a church, can't help people, you know, embrace whatever path we're on and know that God has a purpose in that path, mm -hmm. we are not doing our jobs. Amen. And he had been in this, this church fellowship, and he still was feeling like that. So we have got to do a better job at, you know, being that listening presence of Christ. So... If, if you give them the packet, say someone will contact you, and then you get them into a radical group. Now, the radical groups are 10-week groups. They're, uh, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. It's very, very practical information, just helping you get from 
how you're feeling at the very be beginning to get stronger, and then we help you deal with the change and help you figure out what to do about your kids and the finances, and there are just, you know, 12 different parts of, of the recovery. And so uh, in those radical classes, we don't take more than 12, and it's closed after the second class because the bonding that goes on in those classes like that, and if you, if the first class, you, I have a timer, it's three minutes, you have three minutes to tell your story, and then we, you know, we hear everyone's story, and it's a very, very emotional night. And so if you, you know, if your group has already gone through that emotional night, and then someone comes in four nights later or something, then you have to go back to the beginning. Because once we tell our story, it's, it's forward, and we're not gonna go back and, you know, deal with all that again. So I think it's very important that it be a closed class. Um, we don't let anyone new in after the second group. And, and it, it just, it, the bonding in those groups is just amazing. So um, How long are it's 10 weeks, yeah. And you know, some churches use divorce care. I personally, uh, just from personal experience, Early recovery needs to be gender specific yeah. because it's just a different experience. And our, I was talking to our um, outreach minister, and he said, you know, I hate to say this about men because I are one, is what he said, <laughs> but he said, truthfully, men sometimes are there to find a replacement. Uh, women are there to work on themselves, you know. So it, it's just such an unhealthy, because I was so vulnerable. Women are, mm -hmm. everybody is so vulnerable, the men and the women. Uh, so putting them together, we do our radical classes in, uh, it's really the largest Methodist church in, I, it may be the world, I know it's in the country. But so uh, they do a couple of these every, every year, sometimes they do three a year. But they had to they had to stop doing divorce care because several relationships got started uh, that were not healthy for either person. It was just too early, you know. So I definitely believe that recovery needs to be gender specific early on. So that's why we focus on women and we're trying to get something together for men. Uh, so, but the classes are just. Uh, it's just incredible. So, but then once you once you give people, um, once you give people, get people healed, and and it it just takes much longer. The grief the grief process around divorce is just so much more complicated. Now, if my husband had just been hit by a truck or something, it wouldn't be nearly as hard. And I don't want to say anything about how hard it is for someone whose spouse dies, but it would not be nearly as hard as as when someone sort of rejects you and says, you're not enough, I don't love you anymore, or whatever. Uh, so it, it, it just is a different kind of grieving that you have to do when you're going through divorce. And most people don't understand how long it is. And we as Christians always think, I've got God, you know, I can get through this. But there is so much grief work to do and healing work to do before you can get to the part of rebuilding. So uh, just making sure that people, our culture 
makes it seem like, you know, the movie stars, they mm. divorce and they're remarried and they, or they may already be, you know, hanging out before it, and people just want us to hurry up and move along. I don't know, did any, was anyone at that Stauffer uh, Chapel session this morning, it was about shame. Um, I felt ashamed, I felt embarrassed, I felt, um, and she was talking about shame is, uh, people make us feel like we're inadequate because we're not moving on faster. You know, just get over it. He, he's not worth it. Or you're being weak. Just move along, you know. But it is a very... So we teach people to kind of uh, put some boundaries around their grief work and, and do the healing work uh, because if you've been abused or if you've, you know, your husband had an affair or whatever... Um, there is healing work to do before you can get started on the rebuilding part. So uh, when you know when uh, people come to us, we try to say it's okay. And this, the speaker this morning was talking about how David uh, sent his envoys uh, to talk to someone, and they shamed them. And instead of him either retaliating or or hiding, he, he told these people to go someplace where they could regroup and and take the time to heal. Um, because, you know, we, we think we should just be able to move along, but the healing work and the grieving part is longer than you think it should be. Mm-hmm. But you do have to allow yourself the grace to be able to step back and, sa- and say, I am really struggling with this. I, I am, I am, I'm, depressed, I'm sad, I'm, I'm angry, and all those things. So we do need a place, and the perfect place to do that is in the church. Because, um, you know, and even just simple things, like if you know someone is going through divorce, to go sit beside them. And they may be crying. They may be, because the church, we're focused on families, and we should be, you know, making families stronger. But you're sitting there, and here's a husband putting his arm around his wife, mm-hmm. and you know, and you just are feeling like such a loser, and just so sad about it. And you're thinking, deep down, I think people are wondering, you know, I wonder what's really wrong with her. Because, in I was telling someone, I remember in a, a ladies' Bible class when it was when I was young, they said, you know, if your if your husband strays, it's because you are not doing your job. And, you know, I'm going, I was doing my job. I was trying my best to do my job. All of us make mistakes, all of us, but I, you know, I would think people were looking at me because most of these guys are very charismatic, they're fun, they're very, you know, and I, I thought, maybe people thought, well, she, there's something must be wrong with her or he wouldn't have been looking, but, mm-hmm. That is not the case, not just about me. I mean, I made plenty of mistakes, we all do, but you feel like you failed somehow when in reality um, you might have been doing everything you could. And, and so, you know, these radical classes, one of the great things about it, um, I mean, when I did my first one, uh, it, it wasn't until I just literally fell on my face and I said, God, I hate this. I don't want to be divorced. I don't know what good could possibly come from this. I don't know why you didn't help.
help me fix this. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, here I am. I have no idea. You know, so I'm just gonna. If if you can somehow use this for your purposes, I will try to go along. And once you say those words and mean those words, you had better have your running shoes on. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because once you say to God, "Okay, I, I have no idea why I'm here." But I am going to trust that you have something planned for me to do and that you truly can bring something beautiful out of this mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, you know, and I did say at the end, and I think you could have been a lot more helpful these last three years. You know, mm-hmm. I felt like he was on vacation. And, and I, so every morning I would stand in front of this window that looked out to the back garden and I would say, God, I don't have a clue what you're doing here. I have no idea how I'm going to support myself. I have no idea what you want me to do with this. And since you're not showing me anything, I'm just going to, I guess, have to kind of bumble along. And all I know to do is just shine your light every way I can, every day I can. And so that's kind of what I tried to do. And and when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this question. When people beg you to show the way, why don't you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I wanted, the, uh, it was like nothing. He wasn't showing me anything. So finally, I just, uh, I called some friends from the neighborhood who I know, knew had gone through divorce or through, you know, the, or my kids' friends or whatever. So I just called them all and said, I am really struggling here. I'm not doing very well. Do you want to just get together and meet every other week or so? Because most, you know, custody things, the kids are at least gone every other week. So they were coming to my house. And and I was so weak myself. I called my therapist and I said, I just don't know if I should do this. What if we all just start crying around the table and can't stop? And, you know, it's just going to be a <laughs> mess. So she said, go ahead and do it. They're probably feeling the same way. So I, uh, and in fact, I called my older brother and said, I told him the same thing. And he said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, what time does it start? And I said, 7 o'clock. And he said, okay, call me at 7.30 and pick up the phone. And if all I hear in the background is just uncontrollable sobbing, I'll, I'll help you get everybody home. <laughs> but that first night was just incredible. Because when you are going through this, you feel like you are the only one feeling like you're feeling. And when we all got around the table, it was incredible. We knew everyone around that table felt those feelings. And the more we talked about things, I mean, we even laughed that first night. I mean, uh, here's another thing. Christians, uh, I mean, People think Christians don't have real emotions, real big, bad emotions. And I thought I was a pretty in-control person, but I tell you, I did some things that I had to apologize for, I had to ask forgiveness for, and I've been doing this long enough. I I think I may have to start this radical defense fund because, uh, (laughs) I mean, seriously, I'll just tell you a couple of stories. Uh, The first one, my youngest son, at the time of all the mess was going on, he was about 13, and so we are on our way to church. You know, dry, I'm driving, he's sitting over here in the passenger <coughs> seat, and at that time, my husband was in his own apartment, and he was supposed to be getting rid of the girlfriend, or 
I call her the girl fiend, uh, but the girlfriend. And so um, I was supposed to be working on the forgiveness part. So we're driving to church, and all of a sudden, I see the girlfriend biking out of the apartment complex on Sunday morning, biking on her little bike. I am in my car. So I thought to myself, I've got something I want to say to her. <laughs> so I pull up, and it's hard to drive slow enough. You know, people are behind it's hard to drive slow enough to say something. I drive up and get just as close as I can. And I, I'm so glad you've taken up biking or something stupid like that. <laughs> because our family were all bikers, and I think she wanted to be a biker. So, but she was, and she was on this dumb little bike, you know. So I go up a little farther, and I thought, you know, I've got something else I want to say to her. So I whip the car around and go around <laughs> next to her. And I said, and that's a really dorky bicycling outfit you got on. It was just something <laughs> crazy. But now my son actually tells me that I said some cuss words in there. I don't remember. <laughs> I really don't remember that. I mean, but I, I have this, this little Catholic grandmother, this little tiny thing. She and her husband used to plant flowers every spring and took, made a big deal about that. Um, she found out where the girlfriend lived, and she saw she saw all these potted plants on this kind of raised deck, and she kind of went around and actually peeked in the window and saw her husband sitting there and the girlfriend on his lap. She was just so pissed. She thought she went to the deck, started throwing all the potted plants off the deck, and then she said, "I." I, I don't like this deck furniture either, and do a couple of chairs <laughs> off the deck. So the, the girlfriend runs out, and um, she said, I'm going to call the police. And so my friend, she jumped in her car, backed up to you know, drive off, and she knocked over the mailbox, which is a federal property. So uh, that's a federal offense. Uh, so she had to get an attorney for that. Uh, <laughs> another woman painted S-L-U-T on one side of the girlfriend's car with spray paint and W-H-O-R-E on the other one. <laughs> and she, she was an active churchgoer, you know. And uh, someone asked her later if, if she was sorry about that. She said, honestly, no, I would do it again because it was worth it to see him get in his car and have to drive across town, get that taken care of. But these are Christian women. And I mean, I have never felt the rage that I felt. I always mm -hmm. thought, you know, I'm pretty controlled. When you are going through something like this, you are in just desperate, desperate sadness. But you also feel this amazing uh, just rage. And I had never felt anything like that. And I think sometimes God, you know, we expect the wrong things from Christians. People think, well, they don't have real emotions. They just say, praise God. You know, praise God. <laughs> you know, read your Bible. He'll take care of it. But that is so not true when you are on your face just in utter grief and sadness. So I don't want people to, one of the things we talk about is not to feel afraid of those real life emotions. And, you know, people in the church, I think we try to act like we never have that stuff. Mm -hmm. But real flesh and blood women who God made with these emotions. And look at David. That's encouraging to me. Look at Paul. He cut off a guy's ear. I could have cut off something else, some other important body part <laughs> if I had the chance, you know.
So, uh, so that's another thing we try to, to encourage women not to be afraid of those real, very big, very bad emotions. I mean, no emotions are bad. They're given to us for a purpose. But we, not to be afraid that you are feeling these real deep emotions. You would not be able to feel real deep love without being also able to feel real deep other things. Yeah. So, so that's part of what we do too. And um, another part of this is that um, I was worried so much because I am a strong Christian. I thought, who in the world is going to listen to a middle-aged divorced woman about anything God has to say when I can't even keep my own marriage together? You know, who, who's going who's gonna to want to hear I have, what I have to say? I mean, I, you think, well, peop, people want to hear, you know, your business is going great. I'm a strong Christian. You know, they, it's somehow I am flat on my face with grief. I am struggling here. How am I going to be able to share God's, you know, everything God is with someone when I am so broken myself? So once you get people the resources, you have a listener that you assign to them. You get them in a radical class, and then uh, then you have to give them a service to do. And that is another great thing about the church. I didn't want to go to divorce things where I had this big D on my head, and, and I was with all the other divorced people. I wanted to be just part of the church. So like our church, uh, you know, they have backpack packing day, you know, for kids who have to have food during the weekend. I mean, it's so great to call this divorcing person and say, listen, we're doing, we're packing backpacks this Saturday. Why don't you come join us? And it gives you a service to do. It's not like you suddenly, just because you're divorced and going through this, don't want to serve. And, but I didn't want to just be in this little box of divorced people. So trying to get them into the full body of Christ is... It's so good for them, and, and they can do it without standing out, you know, as the divorced person doing that. You're just part of the body of Christ doing a service. So it's really important that you allow them to um, get back into the service of Christ and the community. And, and when, I don't know, it's, it's just that you have this need to serve, and even people who don't have a relationship with God. That's another thing. Um, just because I approach this from a very spiritual point of view and all the materials are Christ-based and God-based, but I realize a lot of people aren't there. And so at the very beginning I say this may not be your path, but this when you're going through this kind of tough stuff, it's a good time to evaluate where you are on the God question. Do you believe in God? Or what? And so we kind of try to nudge people in that direction to at least think about the God question, even if they're not Christians. And I remember my very first uh, class that someone had asked me to do. It was a little Catholic group, uh, and they had had a lot of requests about divorce recovery materials. And I remember we were sitting around the table, and I started talking, and I mentioned something about God couple times and this woman just slammed her binders shut and said if all you're going to do is talk about how God's going to fix this I don't want to hear it you know so she stayed but uh, but 
I want the church to understand this is such an opportunity to be the church, be the body of Christ. And in, in one of my first, that very first form, that class that I called together, just neighbors, there was a woman, um, just a great woman. She was so funny. And she, she came up to me and said, you know, uh, I'm just not into the God thing. And I said, that's all right, that's all right. You know, this is a very practical program, and it's more about how to get him from here to there. And so she stayed, and she's the one at one place that uh, we were talking about the absence of physical touch. It's so important. And when, you, when you're in a 33-year marriage, and you can have sex, and you can have that physical touch whenever you want it, when it's gone, that is a huge loss. And she said in class one night, she said, you know, what I'd like to do is just put a bag over my head and a bag over some guy's head and just have a good screw. I don't want a relationship. I just want that closeness. I just want someone to hold me, you know, at night. And I could so understand that. And by the way, I tell people that middle-aged men are the least careful with protection. Mm -hmm. uh, just saying, I feel like a, do a dorm mother or something. But, you know, you're so lonely that a lot of women do just get out there for that physical, physical part of it. But, um, you know, it, it's just, we're trying to kind of, but anyway, this woman, her husband was a CEO. He married a woman who was in the middle of the ages of his two daughters. And, and uh, you know, how you really can't compete with that kind of thing once a guy, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, bashing guys. Women are doing this too, you know. But, um, you know, she moved back to North Carolina and she came back to visit in Kansas City. We had coffee and um, the minute she walked in the door I knew something was different. And we hugged each other and she whispered in my ear, I became a Christian. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was, this is what I had begged God to do with this. You know, use this for your purposes and she said and get this I was even able to witness to my husband and so God can use can use what we're going through even though we feel weak and sad and and shamed and embarrassed God can use this and uh, another way that God has used my personal story is that my son Brady was the one still at home and seeing all the fireworks. I mean, I just, I just am so embarrassed about some, some of the things I did. Uh, it, anyway, <laughs> so he, you know, when I started putting all this together, we had to take money out of savings and, you know, to keep it afloat, you know, just to keep, and so he graduated from college with a degree in finance and chemistry or something, and he didn't have a job yet. And I needed my taxes done, and he needed new tires, so we bartered. And, and uh, when he got done, he said, Mom, is this a, a business or a charity? And I said, well, I'm trying to just stay afloat. You know, I'm just trying to break even here. Um, but since then, he, he is kind of a technology wizard, and he he started putting all the systems in place to keep track of everyone who was coming. We're getting, we're getting like 35,000 visits a month from people. 
You know, what if every one of those 35,000 people coming to our site were close to a church that offered the radical program? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got this amazing opportunity. But Grady, now, uh, I was doing a Valentine weekend conference in Kansas City, and I woke up the first day, and I felt awful. I felt like just awful, and I could hardly talk. And so I'm saying, God, really, today, you know, I've got this conference. And so Grady said, Mom, why don't you let me t take one of your speaking slots and speak about a, an older kid's point of view? And um, so that night, he put together this talk, and, and the next day he gave it. It was so powerful. And, you know, he's a millennial. He's kind of struggling with where he is about the whole God thing. But it was so powerful. And so, so many women came up to him and said it was worth uh, the whole cost of getting into the conference for that. And he had tattooed the word Tim Shell on his, on his you know, inner arm. And it, it, he would, it kind of represented him to him, you always have a choice. So I, I get messages from a couple of radical women who also tattooed that on their arm. <laughs> so anyway, he, he gave his talk. And then the response was so amazing. He has put together a six-part video thing. for It's called Parenting Through Divorce. And it's older kids. He interviewed about five or six of his friends about what they were feeling when their parents were going through divorce and what their parent, he, they wish their parents knew. And so he is, he's beginning to see God working through all this, too. And that's just a little personal thing God is doing. But it's, it's in, the, in the bigger picture of helping women through divorce. Mm -hmm. And so God just, you know, all that time. And I'm a person who talks to God out loud. I remember my mom used to pray in front of this window. And one time I heard her say, she had her own small <coughs> business, and she, I heard her say, God, we need to sell 3,432 packages of birth announcements this month. I mean, she was so specific. So I kind of grew up, and some days I would just pace around the house, just talking, mad at God, just saying, you know. But I think God wants us to be willing to be totally open with him, regardless of what it is. So it, it just, so all this time that I thought, God was not working mm -hmm. through this. God has been working behind the scenes all the time. And now I started doing this in 2007, and I'm still, and it's just getting bigger and bigger. And so that's why I say, when you say to God, take my life and use this mess for your purposes, um, you had better be ready to go. And so that's, that's kind of my message to everyone in this room, whether you're a church leader or whether you're uh, someone going through divorce, do not give up on God. Even though it feels like he's not doing anything, he is working behind the scenes for his purposes. Uh, I remember saying to God when I kind of laid that all out to him, I said, you know, if you can use me better as a single person, I am okay with that. But you have to really, in your heart, be willing to say that. But I did say I really would like another relationship, and if uh, you know if you are okay with that, here's a list of what I want. <laughs> and so I just kind of put that list away and kept doing my thing. And about four years later, this guy just kind of dropped into my life. I happened to meet him on 
um, Match.com or something. My kids are all saying things like, Mom, it, he might be a serial killer just waiting to <laughs> prey on some lonely, divorced woman, you know. But uh, he, he just has been such a support. He's much more of a God person than my first husband was. And he's much more a spiritual partner as well as a physical partner. And I'm not saying, I always tell women, don't, don't be getting better in hopes of finding someone. I want you to find God, for, to find that place God wants you to be, whether it's single. But you can rest assured that if, he, if you don't meet someone, God has something to do that you can do better as a single person. And, and our joy, our contentment, our peace, our fun, our adventure are all wrapped up in being who God wants us to be in our own situation. And you know what everyone around us needs to see as a Christian that we're optimistic, that we are uh, know that we have a purpose in life, that we are joyful, and but we don't <coughs> have to hide those feelings that got us from where we were to that place, uh, because everyone's going through tough stuff, and I think that's why this is such a powerful lectureship. Everyone has brokenness. You know, and God, Jesus, the Spirit are the answer to that brokenness that we all experience in our lives. So uh, that's what, if, if everyone would go back to their home congregation, and one of the services that you as a, a divorced person or as someone in leadership, um, you know, you can say, I, I would be willing to lead one of these classes, because a lot of times churches say, Church leaders, I don't have time to add one more thing, uh, and I we don't have the extra money. Well, you don't need extra money, and you don't need extra personnel. You don't have to do anything because a radical woman leads this class because she understands. We had uh, my husband is Catholic, and his parish. Uh, the parish priest there is always in trouble. He's always in trouble. But his sister was going through divorce, and so we had a radical group at his parish. And he had, uh, he had, we went before, Brady and I went before this presbyteral council and had to talk about it. And at the end, when they said to all these priests, how many of you would like one of these in your parish? Every single hand went up. And the guy said, this is the first unanimous vote we've had on anything. So, you know, when I do these radical groups or anyone does a radical group, people from every church, every kind of background will come to you because you have the resources they need. So uh, I wanted to leave time for questions. You can stay if you want to, if you have questions, or it's 10.30, so I don't know if you, if you have to go, you can go. But does anyone have any questions? So you have, there's a website that you can go to. to yeah, and I have these... Uh, you can pass these around. I have these. This is kind of, this tells you about what the radical groups are. are and, and this other, this other sheet has all the, all, do you want to get that for you? Right. And this is, uh, you know, kind of the information about how many divorcing people, more than 2.5 million people will divorce in the United States next year. And that's in the church just as much as outside the church. 
So, and this just kind of tells you how, uh, how the radical program can help. It takes the burden away from the leadership and the ministers. In fact, we don't, you know, we have so much work to do every week in the healing program that it's great if a minister wants to come in and uh, say a few words, but we really, you know, we really need to have a lot to do. But the women's ministry, they brought in chocolates the first night in a little a verse in a little bag and said, we're praying for you. That is huge because for some women, uh, for some reason, women think that because we're divorced, we are somehow a threat to them. It's the weirdest thing, and that's the last thing we have on our mind, that they are worried about their own marriage or they're worried about maybe their husband, you know, being attracted or something. I don't know. It's just very weird. So having the women's ministry come and say, say, we're here for you, we're praying for you, you know, and uh, I don't know, Dan Knight is the, the outreach minister in our church. He does a ton of weddings, and he has all this shoe polish. I have these great shoes that I love that I wear a lot, but they, they're teal, and so I never can find shoe polish, and he has some. He has custom-made some for me, so one of my radical classes, I came in, he said, hey, your shoes need polishing. So before class, he took my shoes, and at the end of class, he brought them back, and I said, now this is a full-service church. You can get your shoes <laughs> shined. But, you know, just um, another woman's daughter wanted to be in the school play. She didn't make the school play. And our church, you know, theater group said, we'll make a place for her in the Christmas play. And, you know, the church can be everything we need to be. So go home to your home con congregations and talk about having a radical group there. Uh, if you want to just pass these out to And um, Can, can I ask you another question? Sure. You mentioned that, and this is kind of personal, but you mentioned that your husband, um, your husband, I love that, was a doctor. Mm -hmm. So he, did, he wasn't trying to support you through this whole thing? I mean, you were getting no support from him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was. Oh, but okay. it only asked last for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I had kids for Yeah, okay. But um, I don't know. The legal system is kind of a crapshoot mm -hmm. sometimes. And I have women who are just left with nothing. But I have so many stories of how God has used that. One woman didn't even have a place to live. She started house-sitting. She started house-sitting, uh, you know, and then she did. She was busy all the time after the word got around. She was very good at uh, organizing, so she started organizing. And she, she volunteered in the prison system, uh, teaching women to read. And someone saw her there and said, you would be great in this other job. And so then they ended up sending her back to school, and now she, she graduated at the top of her class. She, she now has a real, you know, profession. So God can work even through the worst, the worst. Um, I have two questions. The first one is, how long do you think post-divorce you need to be before you can effectively run one of these groups? I tell you, when I did my first group, I was a total mess. Okay. <laughs> but I do think, you know, I do think uh, you have to not be in the sobbing and screaming stage. Mm -hmm. Because there is actually a time where you just so, in, you know, you have to be able to remove yourself enough uh, that you're, you're helping them. But, you know, the Leader's Guide material has notes in the side of the margins about, you know, how to keep the conversation on track. Your only job is, 
is not letting the conversation get off track. It's not, you know, keeping the conversation going with women. You have to keep people, you know. And there are some people who haven't been able to talk about this ever, and so they just want to talk and talk and talk. So you have to learn to kind of manage that too. But we give you tips. We give you everything you need to start a group. We have, um, you know, everything. It's just really everything you need to run a group. We tell you what emails to send out the week before and the night before and how to market it. And it's just very comprehensive. But what we do is we want you to buy like 10 of the, the radical class packets. But then the women buy, you know, buy the packets for the class, so the church really isn't out anything. Some churches, uh, some churches, you know, subsidize and say we'll pay twenty dollars of every of every one of the uh, you know women who do this, and some give scholarships and things like that. But also, you know, it's no the leaders don't have to do anything. It's all all within your you know people who run the class. And the other thing I, I just wanted to mention was that I, I hear, uh, heard you talk a lot about um, infidelity and mm -hmm. divorce and the pain of that. But I think um, it's it's also important to highlight that there are often times that people who choose to leave or a spouse will choose to leave and there is no infidelity. Oh, yeah. And that's a whole different kind of grieving as well. Yeah, it it's is. A different, um, a different level of questioning of mm -hmm. your worth. Yeah. And your ability and all of those things. As that's well. very that's yeah. very, very true. And we have those those are two of the main categories where women just up and leave mm -hmm. you know, they'll leave a note on the kitchen counter that I'm not here. It's just it's just and but now I mean it's so exciting what God's doing. They're starting a new group in the Bahamas. Some woman wow. her church is doing we have groups in Australia. Radical women everywhere. And by the way, I found this shirt at Walmart. Radical, <laughs> stands, for, <laughs> radical stands for rising above divorce and confidence and love. That's what that means. So we're radical women. And the way you, on our website, if you're in the community, the way you choose your name, your first name is the name of your first pet. Your second name is the name of the street where you lived in elementary school. So I'm Frisky Ridgewood, and I love that name. <laughs> <laughs> I thought if I ever had to work in the local gentleman's club, <laughs> that would be a great day. <laughs> so, so I love that. I love that. That's we have the funniest women on our side. So. But I'm so glad you came and let me talk about this. And keep in touch. Uh, go to midlifedivorcerecovery.com or radicalrecovery.org or call me. Um, I don't know if you have a cell phone. I think it's all on there. Yeah, the cell phone is 913-558-5212. Another category um, of perspective women would be people like me who did not have a church background and um, I chose to leave my husband. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I assume that you've had women like oh, that. Definitely, yeah. I have a lot of women. I mean, when you, like I said, for me it was when I figured out I could not be the woman that God created me to be and stay in a relationship that was toxic. Um, you know, and every woman has to come to that herself. But, oh, God, 
lunch. One other thing I forgot. At Leafwood Publishers, uh, this is this Divorce and Remarriage or Redemptive Theology is a great book for church leaders mm. uh, or anybody. It's about the theological part of divorce, and we have kind of missed the boat on that. Mm. Rubel Shelley is a great theologian and teacher and everything else, and this is really good for, you know, kind of talking about the biblical part of it. Mm-hmm. And this is I Will Change Her Name. It's just a devotional book by Dana Hood uh, about, you know, it's divorce devotional. So, but, and I got myself the message in a paperback, and I just, in a big black marker, put God's message to Susie, and I started rereading the Bible in that new pressure. Yes. It just spoke to me every day. So get yourself in the Bible and, you know, do that part of it. If you have questions or if you want to contact me, just feel free to do it. Um, we have a year-long program, too, for individuals on our websites. It's really powerful, too. But the church thing is just something that every church should be doing. So that's my story. Thank you so much. <laughs>